0: If you'd like to turn to page 902 in the Bibles in front of you, we're looking at Hosea, starting at chapter 4 and verse 1. Reading on to chapter 5 and verse 7. Page 902, Hosea, chapter 4 and verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites. Because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying and murder, stealing and adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Because of this the land mourns and all who live in it waste away. The beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea are dying. But let no man bring a charge. Let no man accuse another. For your people are like those who bring charges against a priest. You stumble day and night. And the prophets stumble with you. So I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priests. Because you have ignored the law of your God, I also will ignore your children. The more the priests increased, the more they sinned against me. They exchanged their glory for something disgraceful. They feed on the sins of my people, And relish their wickedness. And it will be like people, like priests. I will punish both of them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. They will eat but not have enough. They will engage in prostitution but not increase. Because they have deserted the Lord to give themselves to prostitution to old wine and new, which take away the understanding of my people. They consult a wooden idol and are answered by a stick of wood. A spirit of prostitution leads them astray. They are unfaithful to their God. They sacrifice on the mountaintops and burnt offerings on the hills, under oak, poplar and terebinth, where the shade is pleasant. Therefore, your daughters turn to prostitution and your daughters-in-law to adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they turn to prostitution, nor your daughters-in-law when they commit adultery, because the men themselves consort with harlots and sacrifice with shrine prostitutes. A people without understanding will come to ruin. Though you commit adultery, O Israel, let not Judah become guilty. Do not go to Gilgal, do not go up to Beth-Avon, and do not swear as surely as the Lord lives. The Israelites are stubborn, like a stubborn heifer. How then can the Lord pasture them like lambs in a meadow? Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave him alone. Even when their drinks are gone, they continue their prostitution. Their rulers dearly love shameful ways. A whirlwind will sweep them away. And their sacrifices will bring them shame. Hear this, you priests. Pay attention, you Israelites. Listen, O royal house. This judgment is against you, you have been a snare at Mizpah a net spread out on table the rebels are deep in slaughter i will discipline all of them i know all about ephraim israel is not hidden from me ephraim you have now turned to prostitution israel is corrupt their deeds do not permit them to return to their god a spirit of prostitution is in the heart They do not acknowledge the Lord. Israel's arrogance testifies against them. The Israelites, even Ephraim, stumble in their sin. Judah also stumbles with them. When they go with their flocks and herds to seek the Lord, they will not find him. He has withdrawn himself from them. They are unfaithful to the Lord. They give birth to illegitimate children. Now their new moon festivals will devour them and their fields. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Our Father, we rejoice at that great truth that our hearts are not moved until you move them. And so, Father, we come now and ask that you would do that with us by your Spirit. We pray, Father, as we reflect on the problems of Hosea's day, we would see our problems. And Father, would you drive us uh, to the true solution that is found in Christ alone? And so we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, tonight's passage is a bit like um, starting to read an accident investigator's Um, You know how if there's a plane crash or something like that, you get this team of investigators go out and they get the black box, they go through everything that happened second by second and they pick apart every single failure and uh, over a few years they write it up in an accident uh, report Uh, and the idea is that you look at that report and you learn from your failures so you don't repeat them. And uh, looking over chapters 1 to 3 over the past couple of weeks, we've seen that there really has been a plane crash. Something has gone very seriously wrong. Uh, remember in chapter 1, God said to Hosea, marry Goma the prostitute because my people have been like a prostitute. It's a, a really shocking way for God to speak about his people. But then remember, it got even more shocking when Goma went off and cheated And uh, Hosea is told to go back and redeem her, uh, pay for her, to come back uh, to his house. And again, remember that God says, that is like my people and what he's going to do. And chapter 4 onwards really uh, is like the report that says, how did this happen? What's gone wrong? What led up to this great uh, shocking thing that God says about his people? Uh, Not only that, but tonight is really entering what I think is uncharted territory. See, we're entering the section of the book that um, not a lot of people teach, and I'm beginning to realise why, having looked at it. Uh, Hosea really falls into two parts, chapters 1 to 3 and 4 to 14. Uh, And chapters 1 to 3 are fairly well taught. If you know anything about the book of Hosea, you probably know the bit about Hosea marrying a prostitute bit. Uh, But chapters 4 to 14 is a bit of a black spot um, during the course of my preparation I've researched what other places have done and what other articles are written about uh, Hosea and often um, it'd be really exciting because you get lots of stuff on one to three and then four there'd be nothing they'd be all blanked out and I'm like goodness me where do I get help uh, so lots of people teach one to three or skip through the whole of four to 14 in one hit I'll let you check the St Mary's archive a bit later on and find out what we've done. Uh, But um, as I say, I've started to understand the reason. And I think part of the reason is this, it's because we feel like all the action has happened by chapter three. We feel like we've got the point of the book. Uh, We hear that the people have been a prostitute and we see that in Hosea marrying a prostitute and we go, yes, I get that message and we see how the people have been unfaithful. Uh, and we think to ourselves, surely that's it, surely that's the point of the, God. God's gonna, uh, point of the book, God's going to redeem his people like Hosea redeems Gomer. But if we do that and just kind of skip on to the next book, there's a chance, a big chance that we haven't really grasped the gravity of what God is saying in chapters one to three. So it's like having the plane crash and doing a report in half a day. You just won't understand all the mechanics of what's gone wrong. And so I'm really glad, actually, that we're doing chapters 4 to 14 fairly slowly. You might not be glad about that, but I am. Because I think it just gives us a chance to get under the bonnet and understand, really, that chapters 1 to 3 really is about us outside of Christ. uh, To see, really, what our sin means. To see what it really means to go after idols. And because of that, I think it will drive us to a bigger view of the cross. To grasp what it really means for God to solve that problem through Christ alone. And tonight, we get to the first page of the accident report, and the issue, right at the heart of the problem, Hosea says, is this issue of knowing God. Now, I don't know how you felt when it was read out, uh, but you probably picked up that there's a lot going on in the passage, but right at the heart of it is this issue of knowing or understanding God. Just have a look on page 902. uh, Look at uh, 4 verse 1. Uh, he says there halfway through, there is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God. The word there is knowledge of God. Uh, Verse 6, he says halfway through, because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as priests. Or verse 11, uh, at the end there, to to prostitution, to old wine, to new, which takes away the understanding. Uh, Verse 14 uh, Right at the end of verse 14, a people without understanding will come to ruin. In 5 verse 1, halfway through again, uh, uh, I don't mean 5 verse 1. Do I mean 5 verse 11? Who knows? But knowledge is there somewhere, (laughs) I'm pretty sure. Uh, But you get the impression, you get the the, the idea, don't you, that knowing God, or rather not knowing God, is really this issue. So page 1 of the accident report is Hosea saying, look, you've really, you've never known God you've never known God as you should. Now it's important to know what we mean by knowing God, if that makes sense. We don't mean knowing God means knowing about God. We mean knowing God means knowing God personally. So there's a big difference, isn't there, between knowing about someone and knowing someone personally. Um, Galileo is one of my historical heroes Um, I was a bit of a weird kid. Uh, I loved (laughs) Galileo. Uh, I could tell you where he lived, I could tell you some of his major works, I could tell you some of his major discoveries. I I know a fair bit about Galileo but I don't know Galileo. We're separated by 400 years despite how old I look and um, I've never met him and to be honest day to day I don't really think about him a lot. But then there's my wife Now, I could tell you lots about her, I could tell you where she lived, where she was born, I could tell you about her family, but I know her personally. Do you see the point? Knowing about, knowing personally. And Hosea's really saying to them, look, you don't know God like you know a wife or a husband or a parent or a friend. See, the whole point of Israel was that they were redeemed to know God personally. And Hosea's really lifting up the bonnet and showing it them, that they have failed in that fundamental task and opportunity. And really, these chapters four and five are just showing where that problem comes from. Uh, First of all, we see Hosea point the finger at the clergy, secondly at the people, and then he shows us the response. And if we're to avoid that danger ourselves of just knowing about rather than knowing, Hosea says we need to listen and we need to find out where the solution to that temptation is found. Uh, first of all, then, the clergy, or as I call them, the culpable clergy. Now, I don't normally do this because uh, our English translations are very good, and uh, there's nothing wrong with using a translation. Jesus used a translation of the Bible. But verse 4 is a little bit tricky. Well, that's an understatement. It's very tricky to translate and very tricky to know what's going on. And I just wonder if the NIV isn't as clear as it could be Uh, on this, in my very, very humble opinion. Um, I've put another verse, so this isn't just my kind of interpretation. There's a a version called the ESV, and I've put it on your handouts. Uh, And verse 4 says this, Yet let no one contend, and none accuse. For with you is my contention, O priest. Now, the reason I've put that verse there is because you can see the target of Hosea's prophecy. See, Hosea is tackling the priest, or the priesthood. Now, if you're not convinced by that, you'll see in verse 6 that the priests are mentioned, they come up in 5 verse 1 as well. And so this first accusation is against the priests, not the unbelievers, not the sinners, but the clergy of the day. Now, often when we think of priests, we think of their job as sacrificing, and that is true, but that was only half their job. See, the priests were really a go-between between God and the people. They offered sacrifices to God... But actually, they were to bring a knowledge of God to the people. So you could say that the priests had the role of a teacher. But unfortunately, it's Ofsted time, and I'm sorry to frighten the teachers that are here tonight. Um, It's Ofsted time, and in verse 6, they get the report. Uh, God says this, My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as priests. Because you have ignored the law of your God, I will also ignore your children. Now, that word ignore doesn't mean they've dismissed it. They've not totally forgotten the law, but they've just not thought it matters. They've just not done their job of passing on that law to the people. It's like a teacher who sits back and says, well, I could teach you, but take it or leave it. And notice the effect that has. He says, my people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. He says, because you've not done your job, my people are in the dark. See, God had set up his people to be under-priests, to be taught. And when they fail to do that, God says there's no understanding. And it's no surprise then that that failure to teach knocks onto a failure to care. Have a look at verse 8. They feed on the sins of my people they, and relish their wickedness. Now that word there for sins is the same word as sin offering. And so when the people sinned, they made an offering, and and part of that offering, the priests would eat. It's kind of their pay packets. It's how they kept going. And Hosea says, look, the priests, it's like they want people to sin more, so they offer more, and because they offer more, they have more steak dinners. Do you see the great travesty here? Rather than the priests acting for the people, teaching the law, driving people to know God, they want people to rebel against him so they can have full stomachs. It worth just saying here, in passing, just how seriously I think God takes the abuse of power uh, as a priest. Um, I don't know if you've seen the film Spotlight. Uh, I watched it a few months ago, and it's a film about the Boston Globe newspaper who unders- um, did a big investigation over a few years to uncover the scandal of child abuse uh, with their local Catholic archdiocese. And uh, as you'll know, that's spread out to uh, much of the Roman Catholic Church. And as you watch the film, you can just feel the anger of the producers towards the clergy. And it wasn't just that the clergy did criminal acts. It was the fact that they were meant to use their role to love the people, to care for the people. But instead, they abused people at their most vulnerable moments. And sadly, that abuse of power isn't just limited to one group. It affects our own Church and theological tradition. And you can understand, can't you, in our culture, why there's such anger at that sort of abuse of power and why lots of people want to move away from organized religion. But let's just see here that God sees that and God takes that more seriously, even than I think we do. See, here is really the first cause of the problem. Here's the first page of the accident report. The word has not been taught. And where the Word has not been taught, the people do not know God. See, the people, it's quite simple, isn't it? The people won't know God if they don't hear how they're to know God. Now, how does this translate to us today? Well, we're not priests, and Clive and I and Caroline are not priests. Uh, We've got one priest, uh, that's Jesus, in case you were wondering. Uh, But also, the New Testament does teach us that actually, in some ways, the Church is full of priests. Uh, It is all priests. It's Our job as a church to bring the knowledge of God to the world. And it reminds us, doesn't it? That having the word is central to the church's role. People are never, ever going to hear how to know God unless we're showing them God's word. It's why at St. Mary's, I don't think we get everything right, but I think we do get it right in prioritizing the Word each week. Making sure that's central, making sure. Uh, that we hear that in our services, because that is what we believe will enable the world to come to a knowledge of God. And without that world, people won't. See, it really is a great shame and a great sadness when the church doesn't do that role. See, lots of the problems I think that the church is facing today in this country Uh, is not really uh, problems that have sort of popped up recently. It's problems that actually started a long, long time ago when we lost confidence in teaching the Word and taking the Word to people. That's the first point. Culpable clergy who have turned away from Scripture. But before we get too comfortable pointing the finger at others, Hosea turns the camera on the people at large in verse 12. Uh, verse twelve, he says, "Of my people, they consult a wooden idol, and are answered by a stick of wood. A spirit of prostitution leads them astray. They are unfaithful to their God." It's clear, isn't it? God's um, speaking about idols there, uh, but uh, I don't know if you notice. This is comedy. God says, "You're listening to a piece of wood." It's like he's saying, "Look, you've stopped listening to me, and you're listening to some IKEA flat pack." I mean, it's that ridiculous? See, notice what's interesting here, isn't it? It's not that just the priests are to blame. It's not that the priests have stopped teaching and the people were all innocently led astray. Actually, Hosea says that the people are complicit in being led astray. Part of them wants not to hear God's word. See, this is part two of the accident report. The, the priests have stopped teaching, but the people have wanted to stop listening as well. It's similar, isn't it, to what Paul says uh, in the New Testament, somewhere. Not there. He says this, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to myths. Do you notice? they gather a great number of teachers who want to say what their itching ears want to hear. Now what's interesting here is that the people don't stop worshipping in fact, they look incredibly religious. Just look at verse 13. They sacrifice on the mountain tops and burn offerings on the hills under oak, poplar, and terebinth where the shade is pleasant. Therefore, your daughters turn to prostitution and your daughters-in-law, uh, daughters-in-law to adultery. Now, the tops of mountains there, um, people thought that the mountains were the closest point to getting get to God. And so if you were to sacrifice to the gods, you would go to the top of a mountain uh, to do it. And the references there to prostitution are literal ones. People would have temple prostitutes, and you would go and have sex with the temple prostitute and kind of get the God to act. And that's what God says the people are doing. They're not coming to me, they're not listening to my word, they're turning to all these sorts of idols. Now last week we met this deity uh, called Baal. Uh, He was a a deity at the time, you'll see there he was the God of lightning, you'll see his lightning bolt there, Uh, And uh, remember we said that actually people in this um, world depended on their crops being successful. And so Baal was the person, uh, the, the, the god you would go to to kind of meet those practical needs. But God says that they also are going to him for guidance. But he's not really able to give guidance, he's just a statue. See, there's a tragic irony here, isn't it? The people have shut their Bibles and they're going to a thing that doesn't even speak to them. Now, what's interesting, I think, is the parallels here with our world today. See, lots of people predicted in the 21st century that we would be in the secular age, that people would move away from God, and all the kind of superstition and all the kind of beliefs in deities would end and we would all be free to think independently. But actually, what's quite interesting, it's thrown all the kind of statisticians off, is actually the trend has gone the other way. See, religion has actually grown globally, And interestingly, there's even evidence that superstition has had a bit of a comeback. Uh, I was reading uh, this article from my college lecturer a few months ago, and he says that um, there's this new thing uh, of not saying all quiet in jobs. If you come across this, if you're in the public sector, uh, apparently if you're in the police or you're um, in the medical profession, you're not allowed to say it's all quiet uh, because you know what will happen, all the phones will start ringing, everyone will turn up at A&E, and that sort of thing. One policeman writes this, it's the unwritten rule of policing that you never, ever, ever say it's quiet. It's the curse of all curses which just invites trouble. It's like saying Macbeth on stage, whoops, uh, among a group of superstitial uh, superstitial lovies. Uh, And interestingly, the, um, the Royal College of Surgeons, of all people, picked up on this and did a research paper on whether there was a correlation between saying it's all quiet and the number, um, this is not a joke, uh, number of um, A&E patients. Uh, and they came to this conclusion that there was a correlation. They said, uh, this uh, research is the first of its kind to demonstrate a cost-neutral, clinician-focused method of reducing workload in hospital. One can also conclude that avoiding the word quiet may even reduce the incidence of traumatic injuries in an orthopedic, uh, and orthopedic emergencies within a hospital catchment area. That is not a joke. They're saying let's, rather than the medicine, rather than the research, let's focus on saying it's not quiet, or rather, let's not say it's quiet. (laughs) Whatever makes sense. Now I'm not saying that everyone's kind of superstition, everyone's kind of got cat's paws and rabbit's tails or whatever you have, Uh, Today, but it is an interesting rise, isn't it? That as people in our culture have shifted away from the Bible, it's not that they've gone into some sort of spiritual Switzerland where they don't believe anything. Actually, they stray to everything else. Uh, G.K. Chesterton, the theologian from about a century ago, said that when people stop believing in God, they don't believe in nothing, they believe in anything. Now, that shouldn't really surprise us if we look at Hosea chapter 4 because Hosea shows us that as people move away from the Word of God, they will move towards those other voices. And it makes sense, doesn't it? All of us have that inbuilt desire to make sense of our world. The, the universe is a pretty complicated place. We arrive here without our own choosing. We're born into this world, and we have to navigate our way around this world. And if we're not listening to the maker's voice, we will listen to another voice, and it shouldn't surprise us, I think, as a culture does this more and more, as we hear more and more crazy ideas, more superstition, as more conspiracy theories come out, more fake news, uh, that is the evidence of a world moving away from the Word of God. See, the big question we need to ask ourselves is not, uh, will we listen to someone, but to whom will we listen Now, maybe under our third point here, you're thinking, what is the big problem with this? Why have you got a bee in your bonnet? Or rather, why has Hosea got a bee in his bonnet? Well, the priests have turned from teaching, the the people have turned to other things. What's the big deal? Well, chapter 5 shows us the very tragic outcome. See, chapter 5 is like the conclusion to the accident reports, or at least this part of it. Uh, and, And Hosea brings in the priests and all the Israelites, and in fact the whole establishment together, and he spells out the consequences of this shift away from the knowledge of God. And right at the heart of it is this issue of not knowing God. Look at verse 4, he says, Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. A spirit of prostitution is in their hearts. They do not acknowledge the Lord. Now when he speaks about deeds there he 's speaking, I think, about the things we 've just looked at in chapter four they 're turned from God to idols, but notice what he says: they cannot return to God now when you 're preparing a sermon, you really hope there 's a bit of positive news at the end because it 's a real downer when you close a sermon by just saying everyone 's doomed, uh, but that 's unfair caricature. Uh, but uh, I was hoping that this would be the kind of positive bit where I was going to say, well. Uh, Okay, we've turned away from God, we've turned to idols, but it's okay, if we turn back, uh, then God will welcome us with open arms. But notice what chapter, verse 4, rather, says. He says, what you've done means you cannot return to me. It's terrifying news, isn't it? It's like receiving the accident report, and it's saying there's nothing you can do. There's just a fundamental design fault in all planes, So there's no hope of change. Now, I don't think that means that God's kind of being mean and the people really want to turn back and God's saying, no, you can't. I think it's saying they they don't even know how to come back. They're so used to understanding God through this lens of idolatry that they can't even acknowledge the Lord, can't even return back to him. It's like God's become a foreign language that even if he spoke to them, they cannot understand. Uh, You know that moment in the film Inception? Um, You know that moment right at the beginning where the main character, um, Leonardo Caprio, guy, uh, that's a guy, isn't it? Uh, And he goes uh, to that big room with the old Japanese fella uh, at the end of the desk. And you learn uh, over the course of the film that that man has been there for decades. And so much so... Oh, by the way, he's stuck in a dream. Sorry to... Spoiled up. Yeah, he's in a dream. And he's been there for decades in this dream and so much so that that dream has become the reality. That he cannot understand the world outside of him because he's been so used to that dream. And there's this great moment where he looks up from the table and he's just very confused because the dream has become real to him. And it's like that with these people. They've become so used to living in a world of idolatry, thinking that God is to be treated like an idol, that they cannot come back See, it makes the hairs on the back of your neck stick up, doesn't it? See, idolatry is not something we can just snap out of. We cannot come back, uh, back to God on our own. And Hosea says, you as a people are lost in a hopeless trap, unable to know God. And that same verdict is carried across in the New Testament. Here's what Paul says in Romans, there is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God all have turned away. And I love to read that and think, yeah, but not Rob. But actually he does say there is no one, no one, all. See, on our own, we cannot know the Lord. It's not something we can do on our own. It's not a quick turn. It's not a quick sorry and we come back to God. Actually, there's a far deeper issue with our hearts that means we need another solution. Turn with me to uh, 1 John. It's on page 1,228. 1,228. 1,228. 1 John. Now notice right at the end of this letter, he says this in verse 21. Dear children, keep yourself from idols. A- and when you read that, if you have know 1 John, you'll, you'll, you'll know that that's a bit of a random, it can seem like a random command, because he hasn't mentioned idols at all. And it's the first time the word comes up. But as I was prepping this sermon, I I noticed verse 20. Have a look at verse 20. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. There's a lot going on in there, but notice what he's saying. He has given us understanding. He's talking about Jesus. See, Jesus didn't just come to die for our sins, although he did. He didn't just come to give us eternal life, although he did. Jesus came to give us understanding so that you and me may know God. See, Jesus really was the true priest, unlike the priest we read in Hosea, who didn't serve himself, who didn't modify the truth for his own comfort. He spoke so truly that it even cost his life. He was the true Israel that never strayed from God's Word, never went to an idol, never twisted things, never put his fingers in his ears. Instead, he obeyed every iota of God's Word, even when it meant going to the cross. And because of that, he is able to bring us to know God. Do you see how we get understanding? It's not us who gets it. It's Jesus who gives it. See, Jesus didn't just open a path for us to say sorry and come back to God, although that's part of it. He didn't just open the door so we could walk through it, although he does. But by his Spirit, he opens up our eyes so that we may know God personally, like a husband, like a wife. See, it is only through Jesus that big problem of this day is solved. We wouldn't do any better. Our hearts are just the same as theirs. We couldn't return to God any more than they could. But the good news is that Hosea didn't have revealed to him. Is that there is one who does. And by opening our eyes, we may come to him and know God truly. I think that's why John says at the end, keep yourself from idols. He's not speaking there about little statues. He's not saying watch out for those. But he's saying, don't let anything take you away from what you have in Jesus. He has given you knowledge of God, and you know him, so do not swap that for anything else. Maybe you're here this evening and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, or perhaps you're not sure. And uh, Maybe some of this is quite difficult to hear, like conceptually, but also uh, from, its, uh, from the strength of what is being said. But I hope you can see that right at the heart of the Christian faith is this offer to know God personally. And maybe you have found yourself trying to grasp at different things, different worldviews, different ideas, and you've always felt they've never really satisfied, they've never really gave a a right answer, or they've never really really worked in practice. But Hosea, through the New Testament, we see, offers us an opportunity to know God through Christ. And if we're Christian, do we realise just what Christ has given us Because of Jesus, we know God, or rather we are known by him. Without him, we would be lost. There is no other way, but we have been brought through him to know God. So, as we close, dear children, keep yourself from idols. Let's pray. Father, as we hear your word, we know, Father, that these are difficult things, and so often, Father, we don't believe them of ourselves. But, Father, we thank you that you are always truthful with us, and that you show us the true state of our hearts. Please help us, Father, as a church, to constantly listen to your word and constantly rejoice in Jesus making that word known to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.